This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Freeby, and this week, we're in Arkansas. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to the skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. And when you hear the cold, you know so well, sisters speak out. Welcome back to the 50 Feminist States podcast. This week we are in Arkansas. A couple of announcements before we get to this week's interview. First one is that over the course of season three, we are doing an extra special 50 Feminist States swag giveaway. So anyone who rates and reviews the podcast on iTunes at any point during this season will be entered to win some super cool 50 Feminist States merch, a tote bag, a fanny pack, a bunch of stickers. I have notepads and pens, all of the stuff that has been a reward in a Kickstarter campaign in the past. And one lucky rater and reviewer will receive all of that at the end of the season. So to enter, you just need to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and then grab a screenshot and send it to me via email to amelia at 50feministstates.com, or you can DM it to me on Instagram at 50feministstates. Just so we know who you are, how to match you up with your username. Everybody has really cute iTunes review usernames, um, but to get you that 50 Feminist States swag, if you're the giveaway winner, I need your contact details. So rate, review, send me some proof, and at the end of the season, we'll announce who gets all that 50 Feminist States swag. The second thing to announce today is that this episode is going to sound a little different than usual. So if you listen to the preview for season three, you heard me talk a little bit about the ways that I'm thinking a lot about the work that goes into making this podcast. I'm thinking a lot about the way the podcast sounds and how it presents people's work. And something that I've spent a lot of time kind of mulling over the past few months has been, you know, what makes a podcast feminist other than it just having feminist content? So how can 50 Feminist States be a more feminist podcast, not only in who we're speaking to or featuring, but also in the way that it sounds and the way that those interviews are being presented. So if you listen to past episodes, you know that generally we'll hear from whoever the guest is that's being featured, and then I'll kind of jump in with a little bit of narration throughout the episode. But I've been thinking a lot about the question of the power dynamics of that approach, you know, whether a sort of narrated approach during which the narrator, in this case myself, kind of gets to go back after the conversation and revisit the whole thing and put their own kind of spin or take on it after the fact. Um, I've just been thinking about the power dynamics of that. And if perhaps there isn't some Something to say for sharing kind of the more vulnerable tape, which is just the conversation as it happened the day that it happened. So I think there's merit to both forms. I don't have a strong conclusion about that. But for this week's episodes in Arkansas, you're going to hear uh, me just doing the interviews. There's some light editing, taking out some ums here or there. Occasionally, I've moved a question forward or back just so you have all the information you need to understand the answers. But for the most part, you're just going to be listening to the amazing conversations I had with three really wonderful folks in Arkansas. So in today's episode, I'll be talking to Diego Barrera of the Intransitive Collective, which is based in both Little Rock and Northwestern Arkansas. We'll 
be hearing about his work with Intransitive. He's one of the co-founders of the collective about some of the amazing transnational trans actions that they've been doing that I was just so excited to learn about when we spoke, as well as the ways that being trans and being undocumented in the past has affected Diego's life. And so we have a really, I think, powerful and open conversation. I'm so appreciative of Diego for sharing all of this with me and as a result with all of you lovely podcast listeners. So we're going to jump into that interview again. If you want to enter the contest to get some 50 Feminist State swag, please do rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Maybe you can even do that while you're listening. If you're not listening while driving or doing something else where you shouldn't be multitasking. Thank you so much for tuning in. Season three is well underway. Very excited to have you here. Without further ado, here's Diego. Yeah, I'm Diego. (laughs) I'm from El Salvador. I've been in the U.S. for over 17 years. 16 plus of those have been undocumented. I'm trans and I'm one of the folks who founded Intransitive. We're in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, It's uh, the capital of the state. Although not as developed as you would think, uh, Northwest Arkansas is a lot more developed. Little Rock is predominantly black. I think it's a little bit over 53% of folks here are black. Can you tell me the story of Intransitive? How to get started? What are you all doing now? Yeah, uh, it was in Northwest Arkansas, actually. And uh, my friend and I were part of another trans org on the board of the trans, this other trans org. And uh, we had some problems with racism. And I tried to bring it up and they, it just, it just didn't go as expected. Uh, for them so I was like cool this is it for me (laughs) and I'm I'm out and I left and when I left um, several other folks like left as well uh, including Brody um, who's the other person who found the intransitive with me and then we ended up at a coffee shop in Fayetteville and I was like we can make this happen like let's figure it out right and yeah, we came up with the name Intransitive. Um, Brody is a is a poet and really good with words and thought of the the name Intransitive, like the Intransitive verb. So it was supposed to be, or, or the like the symbolism of a trans-led org where like trans folks aren't dependent on cis folks to like do the work. So yeah, we came up with that. We like launched the Facebook page, one of the first things, and shortly after that. Uh, we were told that there was a turf work- workshop happening in Fayetteville. And uh, that was like our first thing, like the first like campaign, right? It was days after we had launched the Facebook page. And we organized to meet um, with the executive director of the org who was hosting it. We met with directors of the, of the festival. It was called the Goddess Festival that they were hosting. And we showed up with some demands. You know, for them to take education around, like, what is um, transphobic, <laughs> to learn about that, for them to apologize to the community because this is a social justice organization, and for them to cancel the workshop. We talked for, like, two hours in that same coffee shop where we started Transitive, and they refused. So uh, we planned a protest. We had people from Little Rock who were going to arrive people from like hot springs so it was just different trans folks from around were gonna come and that's when they decided to cancel it and after that we were docs by turfs from fateville 
and as far as Australia, they actually created a, a website. There's that's still up um, where they doxed us. They doxed other trans people who weren't connected to us. And yeah, it just became a whole thing. But that was like the kickoff. <laughs> so that's a, a lot to face for the at the very beginning of an organization, like to be built out of kind of issues with a different organization and then immediately come into this like really hostile environment or like experience with this other group how's the organization built from there and what are you all doing now so the main reason why i guess going back to like the reason why i left the other board uh like the racism right and there was only one other person of color and um i felt like the majority of trans orgs here i could be Come, come in and be trans, but I couldn't come in and be Latinx or be an immigrant or be undocumented. And so I always hold on to that part of intransitive as the space where you can come with those multiple identities. Because in Northwest, it's been incredibly difficult to find like other trans people of color who have been out. But so with that as a guide, it has taken us in a road of like really just trying to figure out like where are the gaps in the state? Like what can we do? And right now, there's like three main areas of focus, uh, anti-violence work. So like talking about sexual violence, domestic violence, different partner violence, and immigration is the other one. And the third one is just community building, just creating those spaces for us to come together. And what do those spaces look like here in Little Rock, or I guess also in Northwest Arkansas, since you're the groups working in both spaces? In Northwest um we had a organization a worker center it was the only worker center in the state it no longer exists but uh, for like the first two years um, they gave us space to create our events um, so a lot of art incorporating a lot of art um, sometimes we would meet at different churches or parks uh, those underground like little spaces where bands come and play like we get spaces like that so we did we started doing things like pumpkin carvings trans pumpkin carvings is what we called it where we would just put like trans flags around uh, bring pumpkins and snacks and let people like come and like decorate right we've done that we uh, have scene nights or make zines we also had a letter writing event for trans prisoners um, so we've had a couple of those connecting folks with pen pals, with trans folks who are incarcerated. And um, most recently we had a, here in Little Rock, we had the um, Queer and Trans movie night. So it was about a month long, uh, two movies a week. Tuesdays it was in English, sorry, in Spanish, and Thursdays it was in English. And that's uh, at a space that is inside a church, is... Center for Artistic Revolution, who are the longest-running LGBT org in the state. The director there like, has given us space to be able to use it for our events. So we'll have those movie nights. We'll have just like potlucks. <laughs> so several different things. It sounds like such a vibrant community. Can you tell me a little bit about like how many of you are there? Like What kind of people have kind of rallied within and around Intransitive? Right now, there's seven of us at Intransitive. Uh, two folks are in Northwest, and then there are, what would that be, five of us? <laughs> five of us, <laughs> math. Uh, yeah, five of us here in Little Rock. Uh, the majority of us are trans migrants. We have one person who is cis, and yeah, it just helps to like be a lifter 
<laughs> not much of a climber in that work. But yeah, so for events in Northwest, uh, most of the folks who go are white just because there are more white trans folks who are out in Northwest. Uh, and down here has been very diverse just because there are more people of color here. So <laughs> we've ended up with folks who are, um, yeah, just of different groups and different ages. We've had uh, a bingo night. It was a healthy relationships bingo night. So we created the bingo board with like healthy, unhealthy, and toxic or abusive signs in relationships. And we had like from youth all the way to like a lot more older folks. That's such a cool idea. I love that. Can you tell me just like a little bit about who came up with that idea? How'd you create the bingo cards? I just love to hear about it because it sounds like something that more people should be doing. Yeah. So I, uh, I have several years of experience working in sexual violence and that's one of the strong areas of intransitive uh, has been sexual violence. So I've done healthy relationship workshops around the state for trans folks specifically. And I was thinking, what is a way to have this again, but make it more interactive? Because um, it's hard to talk about that stuff, you know, and it's hard to like see those red flags, right? So yeah, we started thinking like, some folks who are better at decorating, like made the layout of the bingo. Um, I came up with like the terms that we would use on it. Mm -hmm. And then we had chips of different colors that folks could put depending on what was abusive, healthy, unhealthy. Uh, we had candy that we gave out. Uh, one of one of us brought um, this like head pieces. Um, so one had rainbows on it. One had a unicorn, and it was like it was supposed to be kind of like a crown that you would wear if you won uh, the round of bingo. And so, yeah, we just call, call stuff out and um, and then we talk about it among the folks who were there. Um, and not all the folks who attend are queer or trans. We've had straight people who attend. We even had people who are transphobic <laughs> attend our events and then, uh, you know, get some education around it. But for that bingo, uh, yeah, we would ask them questions about, like, why do you think this is, you know, classified as, like, unhealthy? Um what would it be the the what would the other side of that look like? Um, so just getting that conversation going with folks. Just just for people listening, could you share a little bit of your knowledge around like the sorts of markers of healthy or toxic relationships? Like maybe some of the things you put on the bingo cards, and then since that is a big sexual violence is a big facet of intransitive work, could you maybe there are certain things that you feel like are particularly prevalent? in trans communities or things that trans folks really at risk of in terms of relationships and sexual violence? Kind of a big question. So I guess just kind of like what were the things on the bingo cards? And then um, when you do these workshops specifically for trans folks, what are the things that you're really talking about and emphasizing there? So some of the things that were on the car were, um, first one that comes to mind is your partner hides your gender affirming gear or your hormones from you. Um, but then there's also things like um, your partner will check your phone every now and then or your partner will tell you that nobody else can will ever love you like they do. I feel like for like in the trans community specifically, there are so many there, there's just like so many layers to like sexual violence. 
um, in domestic and intimate partner violence when it was just like regular cisgender heterosexual folks, right? And then you start adding all these layers and there's this unfortunate narrative in the trans community that we're just never going to be loved. You know, we don't see trans people being loved anywhere. Plus everything happening, there's just this narrative that like, we're not worthy of being loved or we have to settle for like scraps of love. And so that sometimes in relationships can look like your partner being very directly like verbally abusive and telling you like you'll never be a real woman you'll never be a real man or like bashing like non-binary identities but it can also look like them telling you nobody else will love you like i do uh or sometimes they'll say things like have you noticed how your family keeps misgendering you you should just step away from them i would never do that to you so they make it sound like I'm the only person who loves you in this world, the only person who like acknowledges you as a way to like push you away from other from other families. Um, so having conversations about those pieces, not just what is blatantly there, but also why you don't, why you wouldn't really consider that, right? Like the hormone changes or, you know, being told like, but you were such a pretty girl, like you shouldn't try to take this hormone. So you were such a pretty boy, like you don't shouldn't try to take hormones. So yeah talking to trans folks around what are the the signs that are like it's easier for folks to identify as like this is abusive or this is toxic and the signs that it's harder to see that have like an underlying uh, code of like homophobia and transphobia i mean thank you so much for sharing i think that that's well my hope would be that somebody listening if they need that information like now may have it like it just it's hard to talk about and so um, i think the more we can talk about it the more people will be able to find the love they everyone deserves that they deserve um one other thing you mentioned when talking about that bingo night was like transphobic people coming to your events and how do you deal with that and is it does it happen often has it happened one time um how has your community handled those situations so it's happened a couple of times um but it just ranges on like in transphobia, right? Like for one of the so the, for the movie nights, the majority of movies were trans, and they were all actual trans actors or actresses or actresses, and <laughs> the gender non-conforming or the non-binary term um, that were actually playing those roles. So that was important in the movies that we chose. It was actually us, like representing ourselves, and we had someone who who came in and had a real difficult time understanding trans and transness. Um, so they were saying things that that were transphobic. It just wasn't like violently like trying to impose that, right? Uh, but it's still it's still difficult to like hear and to like process and to also have the patience to like educate them at that time. But we did, and the more we talked to this person about it, the more they seemed to like start to turn the gears of it, and they kept coming to the other movies, and you know those comments like weren't there anymore. So that was good to see. Uh, and then there's the other extreme. We had Transgender Day of Visibility at the Capitol here. And it was just going to be a celebration showing up with a bunch of trans flags, like music. We had some poetry. We had an art piece for people to add, like, their their wishes for, like, trans liberation. And we had uh, white supremacists show up. And they actually, like, this video of them punching attendees of the event. 
it got real violent. Uh, we we're trying to figure out how to keep calm, how to ask people to turn inwards and not engage with them so that it wouldn't escalate because they came armed. And we did have cops who showed up, but they kept defending <laughs> the white supremacists who show up. So it was real, really difficult, uh, that event. But we learned from it, <laughs> you know, like um, we've tried to be careful of how and even prior to that event, trying to be really careful on how it was advertised. There is just an increase in like white supremacists in the South, and especially in Arkansas. They've been parading in the streets, like in different cities and nothing happens, you know. So staying away from the capital has been one of the, the main things for us, um, just because that's such a clear place that they go. And they feel ownership of. So yeah, trying to keep folks safe by moving away from that place. I mean, that is, sounds so scary. And I'm, I, at the same time, I guess not surprising, like being in the South. But so I guess I just want to ask more about like your sense of Arkansas and the politics here as a whole. I mean, it sounds like they're very conservative and friendly toward white supremacists. Has that been your experience here? <laughs> like, what's it like living in Arkansas just in terms of the political climate? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I would say we have white supremacists in the office and they often don't hide it. You know, like you can find them on, on their social media. They'll share blatant like racism and nothing happens to them. Right. Um, in Northwest, Fayetteville probably the most tends to or claims to be more progressive. So you'll have more of those progressive uh, racists. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the ones who, who like sugarcoated better or like don't see color, things like that, right? And then there are areas around Northwest that, uh, you know, like Harrison is home of the KKK. People of color don't go there. <laughs> I've been chased out of there, so I don't go there. Um, the the trip from Northwest to Little Rock, uh, I usually only stop once because I've been chased out of bathrooms there. Um, and then here in Little Rock, you know, they've been showing up there in Hot Springs and they come here and they show up at, at whenever decisions are going to be made, especially at the Capitol, all these white supremacists will show up and like push that, right? Like and push that agenda. And in Northwest, we've seen the Duggars who are like really strong in fighting like protections in Fayetteville. So they're around, they're visible. I don't think they hide at all. <laughs> yeah. Please forget the Duggars are here. Yeah. <laughs> in my head, they just live on TV. So there's no like <laughs> real location, but they're in a very real place. Uh, that's so, yeah. I don't know if this is a cliche question, but like what gives you the strength to still like in the face of that, bring your community together and, and what strength do you bring each other through kind of surviving and trying to thrive here? I think personally, a couple of years ago, I was at a gathering of, I don't know, like over 50 people here in Arkansas, some mountain in Arkansas, and everyone except for two of us were trans. And um, a couple of other folks who were, maybe like three or four other folks were queer. So we're sitting around talking about like racism and everybody seemed to get it. You know, like people were like, Yes, that's true. Like, white supremacy is real. Like, let's address this. Like, they were willing to listen. They were willing to, like, work on it. You know, it was a diverse group. And when it came to queer and trans issues, they all closed off. And I just couldn't believe, like, you can understand, like, this oppression. And it has so much, so many similar ways. And you can't understand, like, this other oppression, right? And um, there was a young trans person next to me who um, just had a lot more difficulties in being out than I did. And as we're sitting there, like, hearing all these people say all these things, they start crying and just, like, 
you know, they would not stop and they were shaking and like what people were saying was really difficult. And I thought it doesn't hurt me as much as it hurts them. And so I have the opportunity right now to like stand up and talk back to these people for that person who's sitting next to me. So sometimes I just go back to that room and remember like that young trans person next to me and how much harder they had it in, in like coming out than I did. Um, and so that gives me like strength to keep going through it or thinking as difficult as it is right now for me, it's not as difficult as like another like trans person out there, especially another trans youth out there. Right. And as a group, we get together and curse, <laughs> like drink some, some of us drinks, so, like drink. Um, yeah, just talk smack and, uh, and, and try to let, let go sometimes like dance parties or finding different ways to like be in community or eat together and acknowledge to each other like how how messed up the world really is right and it's real and we're feeling it and yet like there's a reason to keep going and uh i've had the privilege to go out of arkansas and be in other gatherings with other trans people and i've been in gatherings with especially like trans migrant women trans migrant undocumented women and hearing what they do to survive how they survive in the streets and they survive in the streets and they not only like survive in the streets but they go out to the streets to find money in order to support other trans folks you know so like you have these older trans women who are like out there like hustling so that whenever a young trans woman comes you know to the u.s like that trans woman has food and shelter and just like seeing how much they they continuously sacrifice themselves right it's like that's their life they just they just keep pouring out that's a big inspiration i mean that's just so inspiring i mean and thinking about how much people give to others and how much that they find even when there is little, like there's still that abundance and the spirit and their spirit that they can work for. I feel like I've, I've asked you a lot of questions, obviously, about intransitive and about being trans, but I'm wondering if you want to talk more about these kind of other aspects of your identity that you brought up. So being a migrant, being undocumented, we don't have to go into that, but I wanted to make space if you wanted to talk about kind of any community that you've found in those ways in Little Rock or other parts of Arkansas and how that shaped your life here. Yeah. I think a lot of folks, especially around here, who understand trans issues, understand very, like, surface-level trans issues. Like, you know, we have our name change clinics that happen every now and then. Uh, we have doctors who, like, provide hormones and stuff, right? I think we even have, like, one or two doctors who do surgeries here. But then folks don't understand whenever, it, like, it connects to those other identities. So for me, living undocumented for so long, it's, yeah, it's just been, like, years and years of running and hiding. You know, like, getting a backpack and having to leave our home for weeks at a time. Uh, while immigration, like, would go away and then, like, come back. So it's just been a lot of, like, running, it feels like, for me. And in Northwest, I had a really difficult time finding trans migrant folks. And whenever I would find them, they would leave. There was just like, there was nothing for them there. You know, it was really difficult to survive and getting a job undocumented in Northwest Arkansas. And here in Little Rock, I've found a couple, you know, like we're now majority like trans migrant led and intransitive, you know. And so 
the trans migrant folks here have also shared that experience of not finding somebody else for a while or like not having resources in Spanish, which we have already like very little resources in English or like a database of resources to go to, right? And then you add that you don't speak the language or you don't read the language. And that adds another layer of it. Um, if you're undocumented, you can't change your name. So name change clinics don't matter to you, right? You don't have health insurance and you're more likely than not working jobs that don't pay you what they should pay you. So you're living even more under poverty. And for me, specifically being from El Salvador, the laws in El Salvador affect my life here. So like somebody who's Mexican, uh, in Mexico, they're able to change their name legally and their gender mark. So that means that if they were documented here in the U.S., they could go through a name change. El Salvador doesn't recognize even same-sex marriage. You can't even change your name to a name that sounds like the opposite sex. Like it has to be very like binary, right? Um, so that means that even though I'm not undocumented anymore, I still can't change my name. So all my documents still say female. All my documents still have my dead name on it. And that's something that like, you know, there's going to be a lot more years until I could possibly be able to change that. So in um, finding each other in one of the one of the events that we had uh, was trans migrant stories in transitive being able to like connect over that um, the way that the trans women the trans migrant women in the org uh, describe it is like me hice sola or like I created myself because they they came here and there was nothing nothing in Spanish you know nothing about being trans and so they had to figure it all out themselves and now they're at that point of like I want to make this available for other folks right so how can then that's what we've been working on like how can we create the resources so that nobody else has to come here and say oh I gotta make myself there's nobody else right like how do I struggle through the language and through all these other barriers for it that's a really powerful project I mean I'm in a lot of work but I think that kind of at least I've found that kind of like knowledge sharing to be one of the most empowering experiences like really bringing communities together and seeing what knowledge you have and recognizing how much it is i'm sure you all know a lot through your different experiences and can share that with others are there things listeners can do to support intransitive's work i know that a lot big point of the collective is like trans folks empowering themselves so i don't want to insert anyone else into that narrative but are there ways that you think people listening might be able to support either in transit or specifically or just like the culture here in Arkansas to change it? Um, so starting with in transit. Yeah. Um, so we started in 2017 and since then we've been self-funded. So all of us like digging into our pockets yeah. and like making all this stuff happen, right? Uh, sometimes holding three or four jobs at a time and like still doing this. Uh, so funding has been a big, a big thing and thankfully... Um, just about a month ago, we got our first grant from Trans Justice Funding Project, and that has been life-changing. Opportunities for funding, it's, you know, will make a big difference for us to be able to, like, do a lot more of this work because they are, like, big projects in mind. It just requires a lot more. Um, and then just, I don't know, <laughs> just, like, following us on social media. <laughs> Um, that is, I tell so you my, in my, um, uh, work outside of Intransitive, I work around media justice 
I've just found how a lot of the stuff that we post on social media is a way to try to change um, the narratives and also educate like folks who are following us. So we're not only reaching the folks here, but we're reaching the folks like outside of here, right? Like talking about those intersections of transness that often don't get talked about. Um, and that's part of like what the trans migrant storytelling that we did here was about, um, connecting it on a larger scale because trans issues are not just to the specific like local area like you know like it's not just little rock or not just northwest it's not just arkansas and it's not just the u.s like the number one like trans murders in the world happen in a latinx country you know the number two like four trans murders is also a latinx country so like trans latinx women are the ones who are being murdered the most in the world and they are also migrating here and so it's all connected, right? So the thinking about that idea of like transnational organizing and transnational like trans issues <laughs> in a way. Um, and I would say for Arkansas, again, like funding is just such a big thing. People leave Arkansas all the time. You know, uh, we there's that narrative of Arkansas is like being uneducated. And anytime we go somewhere, we always get asked like, how do you survive in Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, there are a lot of trans people in Arkansas. There are a lot of trans people in the South. There's actually that map that came out of, like, trans populations, and it shows that the majority of trans people in the United States are in the South, and the majority of trans youth are in the South, right? Like, so how are we shifting shifting things to Arkansas, shifting things to, you know, the rest of the Southern states, for us to be able to get to get the resources that we need, to get the visibility that we need, uh, uplifting stories from the South, uplifting stories from Arkansas, because you know we we also go out and like do banner drops <laughs> here in Little Rock, Arkansas. We just don't get the publicity that other folks get. I wanted to mention about the more about the uh, event around like trans migrant stories. So two of us uh, went to Mexico last year uh, for about three months the end of last year and in mexico we met with trans women who were doing organizing work uh in oaxaca which is like southern mexico and then in uh, mexico city so we have um you know videos that we've taken that none of us have as much experience like video editing so it's taken a while for us to get that but we did produce one of the videos already um, about what it's like to be trans in oaxaca right what it's like to be trans in mexico city and do organizing work. And for that trans migrant project, uh, or trans migrant storytelling, uh, we were trying to connect the banner drop. So the banner drop was for Justice for Roxana, but it's the trans migrant woman from Honduras who died in ICE custody. So it was a national uh, day of action, and here we decided to do a banner drop. We painted her face on a huge banner and dropped it uh, by the highway. And uh, so, yeah, we wanted to connect that banner drop and, like, why should people here care about Roxana, right? And we tied it all together with, like, we uh, had the event where the first part was talking about what it's like to be trans in Latin America. So statistics, right, of, like, Central, Central America and Mexico, 
Uh, we had the video of uh, Chiquis, who's the trans woman uh, feature in the video, and like what happened to her. And then we went into the um, the case for Roxana. So why she left Honduras, you know, like what happened to her while in detention. I mean, she died like less than 10 days after she was put in ICE detention. And there is evidence that she was abused. Um, and she died from, from, from that in lack of medical care after the abuse. And then we connected it to the trans folks here. So we had a panel, you know, of like some of us are intransitive and like, so we had trans folks from Mexico, Central America and South America and connecting that whole picture, right? Of like that transnational organizing of trans issues, not just being U.S. centric, but like we're all connected, right? Like it's affecting us. And, and, and that's the reason why Roxana's story matters because trans folks are being murdered in Latin America the most. And some of them are trying to come here and then, like, experience violence here. And, like, and then you have trans folks here in Little Rock, you know, who are trying to survive, which was a very unique event. But, um, yeah, we, we've been thinking more and we have been trying to do more work that is not just Arkansas-centric, but not just U.S.-centric. Uh, but, you know, we've done work in Puerto Rico as well and then connecting with those folks in Mexico. So trying to think on a, on a larger scale, uh, even though we're so small, you know, but we have big dreams. Right. And, and, and trans issues like affect all over the world. That's an amazing event. I mean, what a powerful way to connect those transnational issues and in my mind to kind of like place Little Rock in that geographic scale, not only to just make intransitive and your community visible here but then to say like our community is connected to international communities and that kind of it, it just feels really powerful to me and it sounds like an amazing event um what makes you stay here like what why why have you stayed in arkansas i mean i think trans people stay here because there's no way out <laughs> you know like we have poverty levels and like folks with disabilities and so forth um it's hard to get out rent here is cheaper than in a lot of other states uh, so that's a positive thing and I think personally you know I I had a home in El Salvador and I was taken from that home brought here right and like Arkansas became home so that I could feel like I belong somewhere so leaving Arkansas feels like being tear from another home again and that is difficult um I'm also a tourist, so <laughs> change is difficult, right? Like, change is difficult. Um, but also, like, whenever people get a chance, they leave Arkansas because there's not much. And we're not going to change if folks don't stay, right? Like, we need folks to stay on the ground and, like, continue to, like, build what we don't have. So I don't want to give up in Arkansas because then I think back to that that room that I was talking about that I was in, right? Like, where... That's a young trans person from Arkansas. And what happens if I leave and I wouldn't, if I had left before, I wouldn't have been in that room to stand up and say something. So I, yeah, I just, I don't want to bail on Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's admirable. And also just part of what I've been exploring through this project is like why people are the places they are. And there are so many different reasons from you know, all sorts of people live next door to where they grew up or people are migrants or people went somewhere for school or people and like how people find the places they organize is, I think, really fascinating stories and something I hear quite often 
um, in southern states and in like the rural parts of the Midwest I've been to is people who are where they are because these places need them. And it's really hard. I think it takes a lot of resilience to, to stay anyway. So it's something I a thread that I've like seen in a lot of these conversations that's I think has been really powerful and I don't know part of what I want to do is like more I think more people across the U.S. should know that there are trans people in Arkansas and they're doing a lot of important work and they're banner dropping and (laughs) that visibility does matter thank you for sharing about it thank you Thanks so much to Diego for being on the podcast and to everyone who works within Intransitive for all of the work that you're doing in Arkansas. It is it is obviously so important, not only for the Arkansas community, but as we heard, for communities around the world to gain visibility, to talk about trans issues, to talk about migrant issues, to talk about so much more. So thanks to you as well for tuning in. This is season three of the 50 Feminist States podcast, and there are so many more episodes to come. So I hope that you will stick around. We've got new episodes every Tuesday and most Thursdays throughout October and November this fall. Just one more reminder, go ahead and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you do that during season three, you'll automatically be entered to win a 50 Feminist States giveaway, prize pack, swag pack, whatever you want to call it, full of lots of great 50 Feminist States merch. So go ahead and rate and review us. Send me a screenshot of that review either via email to amelia at 50feministstates.com or just DM it to us on Instagram at 50feministstates. You can go ahead and follow along there to get more behind the scenes updates about episodes and interviews. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, I'll see you on the road. Cincuenta estados feministas Cincuenta estados feministas Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.